We kicked off a new series last Sunday titled C, S-E-E. I remember telling a couple of people, hey, we're starting a series titled C, and they're like, C like the water C or C like C? You know, C-E-E, S-E-E, not C-E-E, S-E-E, C. And last week we talked about the fact that we need to see the need for Jesus. Every single one of us has a void in our life that can only be filled by God through Jesus. And we need to see the need for Jesus in our life. We need to pray for those around us to be able to see the need for Jesus. And today, I want to start with a question. And and so my question I want to start off with you today is this, is what defines me? What defines me? See, many people are defined by a position, by a title, by a job, by the fact that they're a husband or a wife, or the fact that they're a parent or a grandparent. And what happens is that when something defines you, a thing or a person, when that is removed from your life, you lose the essence of who you are and you can enter depressions and all kinds of different things. It's something that you actually see in people when they retire a lot. People who made their entire life with a career in in whatever industry, whatever position it was, and they get to the point of retirement and because they were defined by what they did and now they don't have that, they lose their sense of self and sense of purpose. And what we want to talk about today is seeing purpose. If you look up the word purpose in the dictionary, this is what purpose means. It means the reason for which something is done or created for which something exists. One more time. The reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. We have somebody here within our church that's studying engineering who's graduating in a few months. And I was talking to him about an, an idea that I had. And I was like, look, I'm going to show you this idea. I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want any of y'all to knock it off. I told him to work on it, right? <laughs> and he says, you know, that's the essence of engineering, trying to solve a problem. We see so many different inventions at times that don't take off and they don't, sol- they, they, they don't get sold. Why? Because they didn't solve a problem. But the ones that kick off and soar are things that solve a problem, that have a specific purpose. And can I tell you that you and I were created by God with a purpose? You and I were not a mistake. You and I were not an oops. God created us And because he created us, he did so with a purpose. Look what the Bible says. I want you to go to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. Joel and I led are having a baby soon, and the name of the baby boy is going to be Jeremiah. My daughter just got a fish, and since Joel's one of her Sunday school teachers, she named him Jeremiah. (laughs) The other day I go to Joel, I was like, Joel, do you know what Alexandra named the fish? He's like, what? I was like... Jeremiah. (laughs) Jeremiah. So this is Jeremiah chapter 1, verse number 5. This is what God says to Jeremiah. He says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. 
I ordained you a prophet to the nations. I'm going to read it one more time. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now, let's talk about this here for a second. Again, as I just mentioned, you are not a mistake. You are not an oops. God told Jeremiah that he formed him. Church, God formed you, created you. God knows you. And it says here clearly that before you were in your mother's womb, he knew you. See, that's what tells me that you are not a mistake, that you are not an oops. Perhaps your parents weren't thinking about having you, but God was thinking and created you with a purpose. Perhaps you have lived your entire life thinking that you cannot attain things because your parents told you they weren't planning for you. Because your parents told you that you were a mistake or an oops. But God said, before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. I formed you. And then he says, I sanctified you. When you look up the word sanctified in the original language, what it means here is I set you apart. I have set you apart and I have ordained you or commissioned you or purposed you to be a prophet to the nations. See, that was Jeremiah's specific purpose or calling. I don't know what your specific purpose or calling is, but I know this. God knew you, God formed you, God set you apart, and God put a purpose in your life. He knew you, he formed you, he set you apart, and he put a purpose in your life. That purpose Again, that thing by which something is created, the reason why it's made, God deposited it in you. And perhaps you're here and you're like, all right, fine. You're saying, Pastor, that God created me, God formed me, God knew me, there's a purpose in my life. Why am I going through all the stuff I'm going through? I mean, can we be real for a second? Anybody ever question God on that? I have. Again, I, I mean, I'm honest. I, I, I'm a pastor. Yes, I'm walking in God's purpose and calling for my life, but I'm human. And I, and I, and I have. I've been like, God, like, like really, like, you know, I feel like I'm antsy and like, what's going on? Why is this happening? Why am I seeing this? Why is this taking place? But I'm reminded of what God told us through Romans chapter 8, verse 28. If you look up Romans 8, 28, it says this. And I know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his what? Purpose. I know, not that some things 
not that every once in a while, that all things will work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. So if you love God, if you are someone who has surrendered their life to God, and you are trying to walk in what God has for you, and you understand the fact that he formed you, he knows you, he set you apart and has a purpose for your life, he will use everything together for your good. I mentioned a few weeks ago, my, my dad had gone to Spain, visited a family member. The family member that he got to meet over there, see in Spain, right now is dealing with cancers in a horrible situation with what they're dealing with. But he mentioned how he ended up falling down or something and went to the hospital because of the injury. And while at the hospital because of the injury, they did a scan and they found cancer. And they're able to treat it now. So he tried to bring it up to us like, look, do you understand? Like, yeah, it's not that God wanted you to fall, but the fact that you fell, they found this cancer and now it's treatable. They didn't find it when it was too late. It's now treatable. God can work all things together for good. I mean, the Bible is littered with examples of it. Here's what happens. We as humans in the year 2020, are used to wanting things right now, instant. Like when I was a kid and mom was gonna make rice, there was no Itachi type thing, right? Like, you ha and if it was there, we didn't afford it, couldn't afford it yet. We had to get a cazuela, right, a pot, get water, put the water to boil. Once the water was boiled, you had to put the rice, set a timer, and wait the 20 or 30 minutes. I mean, now you can go buy an Uncle Ben's in a box, stick it in a little thing in the microwave, 38 seconds, boom, white rice, ready to go. You know, if you wanted to eat beans back in the day, you had to get the beans, you got to put them in water, overnight in water to get soft. Some of y'all are like, really? Like, that's how you make beans? Yeah, it's a process, especially if you want them to taste good. And y'all know I like food and I like it to taste good, okay? There's some people that eat for the sake of eating. I wanted to enjoy, I like to enjoy and savor what I eat. So you had to get the beans, you had to put them in a pot and let them, and just sit in the pot, not, not on the stove, just literally sitting in water to soften in order to be able to cook it. But what do we want? We want things to happen right now. I'm reminded of David. David, who was one of the most well-known kings of all of Israel. David, who we know, slayed Goliath, who they sung about David. Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his tens of thousands. David was someone who was neglected and forgotten. Pastor, how do you say that? How, 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 what audacity to say that? Well, again, let me show you, because you, if you read the Bible, you see it. It's clear as day. Samuel, the prophet is told by God after God rips the anointing away from Saul in Saul's second year of being king. Saul was king for 40 years. On the second year of being king, he disobeyed God and God ripped away the anointing or the mantle of king. He stayed king in the physical for another 38 years, but God anointed David. Okay, so here he is. God tells Samuel, go to the house of Jesse and there you're going to find and anoint the next king of Israel. So Samuel gets his horn, puts oil in it, goes to the house of Jesse. He's like, God, like, what are you going to, you know, like, if Saul finds out I'm anointing a king, like, he's going to off with my head, right? He, and he's like, just say you're going to do a sacrifice, and, 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 and you're going to go worship. So he gets to the house of Jesse, and he says, Jesse, we're going to worship. Bring me all of your sons. 
So here they come, and, and I can just imagine it, like, you know, in the back of people's cars, how they have, like, the mom, the dad, and all the little kids, the sides of the kids, you know what I'm talking about? I can just imagine that Jesse came up and lined up all his boys, all of them, Eliab, Eliezer, all of the guys, right? Lines them all up. Samuel sees the big one, the oldest. Now, again, a little bit of Bible here. Saul was named king of Israel when they clamored for a king. The Bible says because he was head and shoulders above everybody else. Saul was chosen because he was the big guy. That's a whole other preaching. So they go and, and Samuel's like, that's the guy. He's the big guy. That must be the king. So he goes to anoint him. God's like, slow your roll. Take a step back. It's not him. Man looks at the outward appearance. I look at the heart. It's like, all right, so he goes to the next one. Nope. 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 So on and so forth. He gets to the end and he's like, give me a second. Give me a second. Did I miss it? I mean, did, did you say Josiah instead of Jesse? Did I come to the wrong house? Did, you know, the GPS take me to the wrong spot? Like, what's the deal? So then he goes to Jesse. He's like, you got any other kids? And Jesse says, yeah. Out in the field, taking care of the sheep, I got the youngest one. Now, think about this for a second, okay? Out in the field, by himself, with the sheep, I got another one. I mean, did, did he not find him valuable? I mean, the, the, the prophet told him, bring me your sons. Psalm chapter 139, David says, no, for, for, for you know me from my inwardmost part. You formed me. I was despised, but, but, but you formed me. So they bring over David, and God tells Samuel, that's the guy. I look at the heart, not at the outward appearance. So he gets the oil, and he anoints David, next king of Israel. Guess what? David went back to tend the sheep. David did not go into the palace. He went to tend the sheep. Then you go to chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, which is when he's walking to take the cheese and crackers to his brother at, 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 the, at, the, at the campsite, right? Where Goliath, the nine-footer, is out there saying, hey, send me somebody to fight me. If they win, we serve you. If I win, y'all serve me. And all of the warriors, including Saul, head and shoulders above everybody else, right? Not the shampoo. He was literally head and shoulders above everybody else. Some of y'all are falling asleep. I thought you needed a little joke. He gets them, and he, he hears. Even Saul is hiding, and David's like, who's this guy think he is? And he goes and confronts Goliath. I mean, think about David. Again, shepherd boy going out there. He's going out there with a slingshot, and you see him going up. Goliath is like, who are you treating me like a dog, sending me a boy with a stick? What you doing? David says, today I'm going to cut your head off. Here's my next question. With what sword? David didn't even carry a sword. When Saul tried to give him his armor, David tried. He says, man, I haven't tested this stuff. I don't know this. I'm going with my slingshot. 
But David told Goliath, I'm cutting your head off. In other words, I'm going to knock you down, get your big old sword, I'm going to knock your head off. Gone. Clean with it. He goes and kills Goliath. Takes the head back to Saul. It's like, it wasn't a mic drop, it was a head drop. And guess what? He still didn't become king. He went back home. Saul still really didn't know who he was. When Saul was being tormented, David would come and play the harp. Inside the palace, guys, he was anointed to be king. He knew he was the next king. He knew his purpose. But it wasn't instant rice. You then find him in the, in the caves with his 400 men when Saul is trying to kill him. Then knowing he's the next king. Waiting for the moment of fulfillment of that purpose. I'm reminded of Joseph. Not Joseph, the one that married Mary. Joseph in the Old Testament. The one that had the dreams. The one that had a vision and a dream that all his brothers bowed down to him. And then he went and told them, hey man, I had this dream last night. Y'all bowed down to me. And they're like, who does this guy think he is, right? And then he goes and tells his, the next day he has another dream where even the sun and the moon representing his parents bow down. He goes and tells them, oh, y'all bow down. Even you, mom and dad, y'all bow down to me. It's my purpose. And then what happened? His brothers upset and jealous get him. They throw him in a cistern. They sell him off as a slave. He gets sold again to Potiphar. God's with him, so he's able to ascend to being the second in command of the house of Potiphar until Potiphar's wife accuses him of trying to rape her. And they do what? Throw him in jail. But I got a purpose, God. Like, 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 like you told me. Like It wasn't the pepperoni pizza. It was you. You told me of my purpose. No, 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 no. He, he was thrown in, a, in, in, in the cistern. He was sold twice. He was there in Potiphar, accused of rape. Now he's in the prison. He's in the prison, and somehow the prisoner is put in charge of the prison. And while Joseph is in charge of the prison, the cupbearer and the armor bearer of the Pharaoh, they end up in jail. They end up having a dream where one of them, the dream was good. Like he was going to be put back in his position. The cupbearer, the other guy, the dream was bad. They were going to off with his head. And it came to happen. So Joseph tells the guy, he's like, listen, when you're back in power, remember me. That's, that's, that's another whole area that we can go on when we try to put our trust in having somebody remember us instead of waiting on God. So what did the guy do when he got to Pharaoh? He forgot Joseph. And the Bible says time passed again when then Pharaoh has a dream and, and, and the guy's like, oh man, in the jail, there's a guy I was supposed to tell you about him. His name's Joseph. I'm so sorry. And they bring Joseph. Joseph interprets the dream. Seven years of the fat cows, seven years of, uh, of abundance, and then seven years of skinny cows, where the skinny cows ate the fat cows and they were still skinny. He's like, going to be seven years of good, seven years of bad. And so Joseph is named second in command of all of Egypt, right under Pharaoh. And what happens now? His brothers and his family hits the famine, and they come. Joseph provides for them. They buy food. They go back. You know, if you haven't read the story, go back to Genesis in the chapter 40s. It talks about it. But we get to this. We get to the end of it where his dad died. All the different things have happened and taken place. And his brothers say, okay, 
he's got power to kill us now. Like his dream was true. His purpose was real. And they go to Joseph and they, and they beg and they grovel. And they're like, Joseph, please, like, don't be off with our heads. Like, don't, don't hurt us. And Joseph looks at his brothers and he says this. It's one of my favorite passages in scripture. You all meant this for evil. But God, he meant it for good. If you love God and are called according to his purpose, even what looks bad, God is willing and able to work it in your favor. We can talk about Esther. We can get about the fact that she was there, the, 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 the queen, first Miss Universe in the world. The Bible says she was chosen because of her beauty. And then this guy Haman says, we're going to kill all the Jews. And Mordecai comes and says, hey, Y'all need to go talk to the king. And she's like, I can't go to the king. And he reminds her, what if God called your purpose for uh, such a time as this? Church, God created you, formed you, knows you, set you apart, and put a purpose in your life. Do you know what's a purpose killer? Excuses and fear. I told you to stay in Jeremiah. Go, go, go back there to Jeremiah chapter 1. Again, verse 5, God tells Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, uh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. Excuse. Hey, God, you're saying you know me, but... Um, I'm not worthy. I can't. I'm just a kid. I'm young. It was an excuse. So then God says to him in verse number seven, the Lord said to me, do not say I'm a youth. Get that excuse out of here, okay? For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Excuse and fear will stop the purpose in our life. So God told them, I formed you, I know you. I set you apart. I put a purpose in your life. Get rid of the excuse and get rid of the fear. I'm with you. And whatever you go to do and say, when I tell you, that's what you say. We need to see God's purpose in our life. We need to see the fact that God has created us, formed us with a purpose. I mean, he continues to say, I'm going to just go through there. We're in verse number nine. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and pull down, destroy and throw down to build and to plant. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready 
I am awakening. I am hastening. I am anticipating this right now. I am ready to perform my word. The time for your purpose to be fulfilled is now. That's what God told Jeremiah. It's now. He continues to look at him or talk to him there. I went to the wrong, there. Verse 13, and the word of the Lord came to me the second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot and it is facing away from the north. And the Lord said to me, out of the north, calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord. They shall come and each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. I will utter my judgments against them concerning their wickedness because they have forsaken me, burnt incense to other gods, worship the hands of, uh, worship the works of their own hands. Therefore, Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. I've said this in the past. I'm 40 years old. At the age of eight, I knew my call was to pastor a church. Guess what? I still finished third grade. And I I went through high school. And I got my degree at, the, at FIU in education, and I taught in the school system, and then I worked to, in a publishing company training teachers in how to do technology, all of that preparing me for my purpose. Because again, David was anointed, but he went back into the field. So God says to him, prepare yourself, arise and speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces. Let I dismay you before them. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against his princes, against his priests, and against the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. Why? Because I know you, created you, set you apart, and put a purpose in your life. That's what God did. Formed you, knows you, set you apart, puts a purpose in your life. We need to ask God, God, what's the purpose you have for my life? Like, like, like God, what is it that you have for me? to then be able to do whatever he tells you to do to fulfill that purpose. It reminds me of the story of this dog and this elephant that met each other at the market. So so this dog gets pregnant and she meets this elephant, right? And 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 the elephant had just gotten pregnant. They're like, oh, you're pregnant. Like I'm pregnant. It's like like women do, right? Like you're pregnant, I'm pregnant. Oh, right. Like they're talking to each other. (laughs) And a few months go by and the dog comes with its puppies. It's litter of puppies up to the elephant, right? Wags his tail, it's like, hey, look at my babies, where's yours? It's like, I'm pregnant. Are you sure? Puppies are cute, but I'm, yeah, I'm pregnant. Oh, okay, all right, good to see you. Dog goes away, comes back a few months later, doesn't have six puppies, now it's got six puppies plus another dozen that she'd already had, right? It's like 18 dogs with her. She comes up to the elephant, hey, elephant, how you doing? Where's the baby? I'm pregnant. Are you like in faith or like, what do you mean? 
So the dog leaves and it's been 18 months since their first encounter. She comes up, she's had three litters of puppies, right? She's populating PetSmart. She comes up to the elephant and she looks at the elephant and says, where's your baby? And the elephant says, I'm pregnant. The dog looks and says, listen, I think you might need to change vets. Something's not right. You just got a lot of weight gain and no baby. And the elephant looks down and says, I, I need you to understand something, Miss Dog. See, I, I am an elephant. Inside of me is forming an elephant. See, 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 when my baby walks on the ground, the earth shakes and people notice. See, 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 when this baby begins to cross a street, people will stop and admire its magnitude and its brilliance. You may have made some puppies, but I'm making an elephant. Can I tell you something, church? The purpose inside of you that God created you with, it's an elephant. It doesn't happen like a litter of puppies. It doesn't just happen overnight. It's an elephant. And like the elephant, it will hit the ground and the ground will shake. Like the elephant, it will cross the street and people will gaze and admire it. But you got to understand that what it takes to build an elephant is not what it takes to have a litter of puppies. You need to see the purpose of God in your life. You need to see that he has called you. He has set you apart. He knows you and he has put a purpose in your life. Church, we must see our purpose. We must see our purpose.